0: Paul makes the argument with the meat offered to idols. And now I'm trying to remember if it's, I think it's Romans, but it's Romans and 1 Corinthians that he mentions it. But one of them, he talks about not causing your brother to stumble, to sin against his conscience by by eating meat offered to idols. He makes the case you defend your brother over the unbeliever. You, You offend an unbeliever, if you must, to protect your brother's conscience. We don't often think that way. Welcome to The Rap Report with your host, Andrew Rappaport, where we provide biblical interpretation and application. This is a ministry of Striving for Eternity and the Christian podcast community. For more content or to request a speaker for your church, go to strivingforeternity.org. Welcome to another edition of The Wrap Report. I'm your host, Andrew Rappaport, the Executive Director of Striving for Eternity and the Christian podcast community, of which this podcast is a proud member. I'm joined by another member of the Christian podcast community, Drew Van Nida. He is half of the Matter of Theology podcast, another podcast you should be checking out, some great stuff that he and Chris Huff put out. They are two laymen who, boy, you know, you got to wonder sometimes, You got a lot of guys that claim to be pastors, and yet they can't produce the brilliance that matter of theology can produce. So just saying you want to check out that podcast. So, Drew, welcome again to another edition of the Rap Report. Thank you. I'm I'm honored to be here, and it's great to be back with you and your audience. And as we've been doing, we've been having different co-hosts come in so you guys can hear some different voices from the Christian podcast community. With today's topic, what we're going to cover is Well, salvation, but specifically what we're calling separation, and this is really dealing with the issue of holy living. Now, I'm going to say up front, we have covered this in different ways, but repetition is important. Why? Because, well, sometimes you didn't listen to every episode. I don't know why. You don't have to listen to every episode of the rap report to be saved, but why take the chance? I'm just saying. (laughs) Okay, I stole that from Erwin Lutzer. He used to say that with going to Moody Church. But the reality is that we know that there's a lot of theology where we build it upon other thoughts, and so a lot of this interacts. So we've dealt with sanctification, we've dealt with issues in the last episode, we dealt with the the issue of whether we can lose our salvation, are we secure in our salvation? That led into a discussion on Christian liberty, and that now flows right into this issue that we're going to cover in this episode. So this is part of our ongoing series. This is number 34 in our series on what we believe. So just go to strivingforeternity.org and check out from there. Go to the About section, and you'll see what we believe. Scroll down till you see Soteriology. Open and expand that. Go to the bottom where it says separation and read along with us, and you can follow what we're going to be covering. So, Drew, if you wouldn't mind reading those three paragraphs for us in that section. Absolutely. On
1: separation. Separation from sin is clearly called for throughout the Old and New Testaments, and the scriptures clearly indicate that in the last days, apostasy and worldliness shall increase. Out of deep gratitude for the undeserved grace of God granted to us, and because our glorious God is so worthy of our total consecration, all believers should live in such a manner as to demonstrate their adoring love to God and so as not to bring reproach upon our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You should insert a doxology right there. Separation from all religious apostasy and worldly sinful practices is commanded of us by God. Believers should be separated unto the Lord Jesus Christ and affirm that the Christian life is a life of obedient righteousness that reflects the teaching of the Beatitudes and a continual pursuit of holiness.
0: Now I will admit that there is a certain pleasure in make and having Drew read that this because in this first section we we say something that Drew probably had a hard time reading as a post millennial, but <laughs> <laughs> you know when I read that I was
1: like, mm. but even still there are post millennial in the post millennial view there they do believe that there will be a great apostasy that yeah. does, that still does take place and so I firmly. Approve of this statement. I, I I can sit here, even as a postmillennial, go that is absolutely true.
0: Yeah, and th- and that's so, so one of the things with with a doctrinal statement. and What we're doing this series is so people can see everything that's in a doctrinal statement. We hoping to teach some theology as we go through it, but we want to show you how to read a doctrinal statement, how to see what's said and what's not said, what's meant by things that are said, so that you could be more precise as you read. You're going to go look for a church. You want to see a thorough doctrinal statement. Yes. Yes. And you want to see one that not just three pages where we believe in the Bible. Okay, good. That tells me nothing. What do you believe about the Bible? Let's dig into that. Well, that's what we're doing. We're digging into this. By the way, this total doctrinal statement, I think, is about 10 to 12 pages if you print it. So we're saying here, as we start with this section, that separation from sin is clearly called for throughout the Old and New Testaments. Now, let me say something. This is a dividing line now, okay? This makes a division between, shall we say, the progressive Christians and, well, traditional or biblical Christians. Progressive Christianity wants to get along with the world and accept certain sins, they want to be part of the world. So they're going to look at things like homosexuality and say, it's not a big deal. Love is love. It does, it shouldn't matter. We shouldn't judge people for who they love. So what you end up seeing there is a distinction. This becomes a watershed issue that we're saying that separation from sin is clearly called for. So By stating something like this, it means that those who want to say, well, I'm an adultering Christian. By the way, I never hear that. (laughs) I'm a lying Christian. Wait, I never hear that. I'm a drunken Christian. Never hear that. I'm a gay Christian. Oh, I do hear that. That one all the time. Right? But here's the thing. Any Christian or anyone claiming to be a Christian, I should properly say, that first identifies themselves by their sin is not seeking to separate themselves from that sin. So if you're okay with drunkenness and being a Christian, you're probably not a Christian because there's not that separation. You're embracing it. So what this statement says is there has to be a clear line of demarcation between you, the believer, and sin. Now, does that mean you're never going to sin? No, it doesn't. You're still going to sin. Go listen to last episode, and you're going to hear as we describe through all that. But we will continue to sin. The difference is we hate the sin we do. And if we hate it, we don't identify ourselves by it. We want to avoid it. But to a person who claims to be a Christian and wants to embrace sin, that becomes a struggle. Because as we're saying, both Old and New Testament is clear You know, there's a lot of people that will say, we'll deal with the the elephant in the room, the the homosexuality. People will say, well, that was Old Testament. New Testament is about love. No, there's plenty of New Testament passages that speak against homosexuality as well. And people go, oh, but Jesus never did. Well, okay, but God, the Holy Spirit wrote the whole book. So he did, (laughs) right? Even if Jesus didn't literally say that, but he did say, you know, marriages between a man and a woman. He didn't give any other options there. But the thing is, when people try to get wiggle room, it's because they're not trying to separate themselves from what the Bible calls sin. Now, I'm going to be upfront with you folks. Do I like everything that's said in the Bible? No. There's a lot of passages where if I was like Thomas Jefferson, I would want to cut them out because <laughs> right. I just don't like them. There's a lot of things I don't like, like every passage about gluttony. I wish I could just remove that and just feel good about gorging myself like I want, but I can't. So the reality is we don't get to pick and choose what we wish the Bible says. And it's very clear that we have to be separate from sin. Now, it's interesting the the way we're laying this out now. Why? Because we're talking about a separation from sin, which makes sense if you listen to last week's episode, we talked about Christian liberty and having that assurance of salvation. That leads right into this. But notice then what we say. The separation of sin is clearly called for throughout the Old and New Testament, and the scripture clearly indicates that in the last days, apostasy and worldliness will increase. But here's why those two are connected because it is those professing to be Christians who end up acting worldly that bring about the apostasy. Mm-hmm. You see, when Christians act like Christians, the world goes, well, yeah, they're they're not giving themselves over to sin. They're not identifying by their sin. That makes sense. They're Christian. But when those that profess to be Christians, the Joel Steens and those who want to just have big stadiums and have nice smiles, but what happens with a Larry King, an unbeliever? He'll turn to a John MacArthur and say, you know what? I like having you on because you'll tell me what you believe. I have Joel Osteen on. He'll never say what he actually believes because he just wants to please people. He wants the worldliness and the riches and all this world has to offer. And he's not willing to tell a man that's dying and going to hell. You're dying and going to hell. Mm -hmm. Probably because Joel Osteen's going to the same place. That's why he could write a book, Your Best Life Now, because this is Joel Osteen's best life because he's got hell to look forward to if he doesn't repent. And so the reason these are connected is because the lack of separation from sin will lead the church into worldliness and bring about a great apostasy. Mm-hmm. And it will right. bring about the 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 increase. Why? Because in the last days, people have itching ears. They want to be tickled. They want to feel good. Now, I know, Drew, you have never, on your podcast, Maritheology, Theology. You and Chris have never, ever addressed any of these issues. Is that correct?
1: Never. I mean, we wouldn't be caught dead addressing anything like this. I mean, this is just because this is too controversial, right? And we don't deal in anything controversial, (laughs) right? We want to be like, I mean, the reason our platform continues to grow is because we just want to be liked. And so we do everything we can absolutely not you know we we address holiness all the time and the the need for the christian to leave the world leave worldliness out we point out all the places where worldliness is coming into the church and we argue against those things because it is the christian's duty to progress in holiness to look to holiness to look at Christ and be moved in the direction He is. That is to be moved in holiness, being conformed to the image of our Lord. And it's so great that you actually have this in your doctrinal statement because many doctrinal statements don't even have this—the idea of being separated from sin. They don't. They,
0: they don't, don't want wanna, to. They don't want to discuss those things. But let me let me let you answer this question because we're we may get this. People listening may may be thinking this, but I know you have heard this as many times as I have heard this. As we talk about holiness and we talk about some of these issues, but Drew, someone is going to say, we're not being loving. Mm. So is, is addressing issues of holiness, is that loving or not? Addressing issues of holiness is most certainly
1: loving. Because first, we are to be concerned with what glorifies God. Holiness glorifies God. And then secondly, it is loving because to the person who is maybe claiming to be a believer that doesn't, that doesn't view holiness in the same way, they don't think that that's important. It's loving for us to confront them and say, hey, you need to move in holiness. You need to move towards that because that's what God wants. He says it in his word. I mean, Romans 12. Okay, Romans 12, the beginning. Paul says, therefore, meaning as a result of. So what is that? He has just gone through chapters 1 through 11, laying out systematic theology. He's laid out the the indictment of all man under sin, saying you are condemned, but Christ came and took your place. And because of all of that, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, that is the fullness of yourself, a living sacrifice, a living and holy sacrifice, which is acceptable to God. So if you are not presenting your body in how you live, how you speak, how you think, which those who would be pastors who would Make excuses for using foul language or crass joking at the pulpit or in just everyday, everyday language or uh, conversation. Okay. You are not presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice, a living and holy sacrifice to God. And so, if you don't have that desire to present your bodies and self control, talking about pastors, right? Let's talk about qualification for a pastor self control. If you don't have that desire in moving in holiness, guess what? God says that is not acceptable to him. So you want your life to be one that is acceptable to God. And the only way that is going to be acceptable to God is if you are desiring holiness.
0: Yeah. And this is the thing that we end up seeing is so many people make pit it as if it's either holiness or love. But one of the things I want to caution people with and think about is what do they mean by love? The most loving thing Drew could do is confront me on my sin, because that will correct me and get me to live more the way God wants me to be. But what we call love its really, I want God and everyone else to spoil me and give me what I want. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, so love is an attribute of God. And you've been speaking about the attributes of God, the necessity for us to know the attributes of God. And Dr. Steve Lawson has said that the greatest study you can give yourself to is the attributes of God, because that's who God is. God has revealed himself to us. But because love is an attribute of God, what people try to do is they try to take this one attribute and they try to deify it. They try to make love the God that we should be serving, rather than the God who is love, which it also connected with all His other attributes as well, in in
0: presenting that God that we should be serving. Because what they end up doing is, and so many of these people that talk about God is love, ask him, "Is God wrathful?" No, Ugh. no, no, no. <laughs> well, that's not what John, what Romans 9, 22, 23 say. Mm-hmm. Right. They make it really clear that what if God, wanting to display His wrath, mm, prepared vessels for destruction, <laughs> right? So clearly, God is a God of wrath as well. So they, but they make it all about that everything should be about me, myself, and everyone giving me what I want. Now they don't often want to argue it that way, but that's what it is. And when we want to live for self we are living for sin. We are not living for God. And as believers, it is an either-or situation. You cannot, Jesus made this clear, you cannot live for both God and money, but money is a substitute for any sin. Money is a clear one. As someone who does counseling, I I can tell you what you love by looking at your checkbook, you know, let me, let me see your credit card statement and I'll tell you what you love because where you spend your money tells me where you, what you love. It's really funny you say that because I,
1: I graduated high school from a Christian school. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) I know it's hard to believe. Sometimes it's like, I can't put two words together to make a sentence. But, uh, so I graduated from, from a private Christian high school and I only went there my senior year. Before that, it was public school. But that same school, okay, I look at now. And back then, we didn't, they didn't have a football team. We didn't have a football team. We had baseball and basketball. And I played both of those sports. And we had a couple other sports, but the only good ones are baseball and basketball. But now, they have this football team. They have this football stadium. And I interviewed with the headmaster about two summers ago. And I said, where you invest your money is an indication of what you value most. Are you investing your money in the football team or are you investing it in the theology program? Because I can tell you right now, because I've been a substitute here,
0: you're not investing in the theology program. Yeah, that's one of the funny things. It just brings up a story. You know, what what got me to develop a, a relationship with Dr. Thomas White. Not Doctor James White, a different Doctor White, but he's from Cedarville University. Was when my daughter went there, and they had orientation for the parents. He's talking about how they're going to disciple the kids. They want to disciple them, in and help them in their theology, help them to grow, to be Christians, to have. And and he goes, oh, don't worry, they're going to get a good education, as if that was like secondary. He's yeah. like, you're paying money; we're, we're they're going to get a good education, but that wasn't his focus, mm-hmm. and. That mindset, I mean, that's why we got along. And this is a guy who could be a seminary. He he could have been a seminary president at like any of the Southern Baptist seminaries. He went to Cedarville because he's like, he, you know, he told me, he's like, at seminary, I can affect the future pastors. At Cedarville, we can disciple the rest of the world. Mm hmm. Right, and yeah. it's real interesting mindset, and so that's but that's the thing. We got to decide what we're living for, mm-hmm. right? And so we have to be separate from sin and Christian. The most loving thing we could do is is live a life of separation from sin. Are we? We're not going to do it perfect, but that's what the word holy means—to be set apart, to be separated. What are we separated from? The world, from sin. Mm-hmm. So we we have do we still have these desires? Yes, but but we don't give ourselves over to them. We have to be constantly warring against the flesh as 1st Peter 2:11 says. That's right. And so That's we say right. here, out of a deep gratitude, so right here this talks about our the attitude that we have because people we must understand, people love sin. It is What we start in this world with, we love sin, we love self, we love our pride. And so what we need to do is separate from that. It's out of an an attitude of deep gratitude. Why? Well, we say in the statement, for the undeserved grace of God granted to us. See, what causes us to want to separate from sin? It is that undeserved grace that you and I in no way deserved. The more we understand how wicked and sinful we are, the more we value and understand this this beauty of this separation. Mm -hmm. It's one of the reasons Todd Friel called his, his program wretched. It's not because it's a wretched show, it's because you and I are wretched. And when we understand how truly wretched we are, the more we understand how undeserving we are of the grace that God gives us. And you want to know something, you want to sit there and go to church and complain about your your brother or sister. Maybe you don't like the pastor and what he's done, and you want to be critical. When you understand how wicked you are and I am, that person we're going to criticize, "Eh, they look far better than us. Yeah. (laughs) Right? And so... It's about our attitude. You know, when I when I share the, the gospel, Drew, an uh, uh, illustration that I always use because it, it's helpful, people will think that you go to church, do good works, and that's how you become a Christian and get right with God. And I always use this courtroom scene, and I'll say, okay, you know, so if I was talking with you, Drew, I'd, I'd say, so, Drew, let me ask you, you know, say you did something wrong, and you owed $100 million or life in prison. The judge is going to tell you, Drew, you got $100 million, and you're going to go on no okay so you're looking at what and the person goes well life in prison okay so drew you're looking at life in prison not not pretty picture no okay so some guy complete stranger comes in and gives you a check for 100 million dollars sold his car sold his house comes in gives you the check and says here this is for you now you got to believe the check's real right you got to write your name on the back and endorse it you don't want to go to jail for fraud right so you you trust the check You hand that check over, and the judge says, you're free to go. Why? Because someone else paid your fine. Mm -hmm. So you're outside of the courtroom. You were looking at life in prison. All of a sudden, you walk out that courtroom, and the day just looks so much better, doesn't it? Yeah. Why? Because you were going to look at a a jail cell for the rest of your life, and now you can see the the, the sun and the sky and the, the beauty, and you see the guy who paid your bill, and he's hitching a ride. I usually say California, unless I'm in California. And then I say to New York, (laughs) he's (laughs) hitching a ride to California. And I go, do you give him a ride? And people are always like, yeah. I go, why do you give him a ride? I had one guy, he goes, I said, would you give him a ride? He goes, no, I give him my car and I'm his chauffeur. Wherever he goes, (laughs) I'm taking him. Everything that's mine is his. And I I said, why? He goes, because I was looking at life in prison. He paid a debt I could never pay. Mm. Well, I remember one person saying, I don't have to worry about going to, to work or, or or like, I wasn't going to have any of that. He made it possible for me to be able to be with my family or go to work. So if I have to take time out to drive him to California, I'm going. Mm-hmm. I said, so what, what was the change? The motivation, right? Because someone did something for you that you could not repay, even though you can never repay it, it was a motivational change that you just love him. And want to do something for them, not to earn anything because you can't. Well, brothers and sisters, we have been forgiven an eternal debt. We can never repay it. And when we understand how wicked our sin really is, then we understand how undeserving the grace that God has granted to us is. And that should be the motivation for us to have this deep gratitude to want to be separate from sin. Mm -hmm. because that's what christ died on that cross for that sin represents what christ died for and so so we say out of a deep gratitude for the undeserved grace of that of god granted to us and because of our glorious god now where's the focus here notice it's not on us and what we do it's on God and what he did. We did not deserve, but he did this for us. That's the focus. And because of our glorious God is so worthy of our total consecration. Now, Drew, you're, you're familiar with the passage. I'm sure many of you listeners are as well. In Proverbs, the beginning of wisdom is, is what? The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. And, you know, a lot of people struggle with what does it mean to fear the Lord? If you think about it. Fearing the Lord, fear is this negative thing, right? If you live in an inner city right now, you fear riots. You fear, well, Black Lives Matter protests, because they're <laughs> anything but a protest. You, you fear violence when you, when you defund police, right? You, you fear what people are doing. Mm-hmm. Maybe some people are fearing the government, what they do. The fear is often thought of as a negative thing. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? And this is a helpful illustration, I think, but it's helped others. So Drew, someone comes up to you, you're in New York City. Well, I guess for you, you're down in Atlanta. Someone pulls a gun on you. Mm -hmm. You're walking with your wife and you're having a discussion on what color to paint the baby's room. Little little Lawson's room is going to be painted. It should be blue, pink, purple. Maybe maybe you're in a heated discussion on this. Mm-hmm. Your wife is saying blue and you think it should be, you know, maroon. Right? And so a heated discussion and a guy pulls a gun on you mm-hmm. and says, "Give me your wallet." What just happened to that discussion on what color to paint the room? It it became irrelevant. Dead as a doornail, right? Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, the presence of that guy with that gun takes your full and total concentration, right? Mm -hmm. You are not thinking of anything else but the current situation. You are totally concentrated to him now. Mm -hmm. You are in fear. It means that you are totally fixated on the present moment and what's in front of you. Mm-hmm. That is the fear of the Lord, is that we are to be living totally consecrated to him. We are to be living in a fear of the Lord, meaning that we are to be living where every thought is just thinking of him, that he captures our complete concentration, imagination, thoughts. Mm-hmm. Now, we can't do that perfectly. I get it. But that's what it means. That's the beginning of wisdom, the fear of the Lord, is that he captivates us completely. And, and that's what we're saying here. Because God, he is a glorious God that is worthy of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking about this fear,
1: right? So there's two types of fear. There's servile fear, which is fear that is experienced at the hands of a tormentor. Someone that's torturing us, right? It's this deathly fear.
0: Is that like listening to Leighton Flowers? Is that yes. in that category? That's
1: exactly, okay. exactly it. I just I just uh, wanted to check. Yeah. And then, and then there's another type of fear that's called a filial fear. This is a reverent fear. This is the type of fear we should be relaying to God. And it's this, as you're speaking about this, Andrew, this living in every moment of who God is, right? This, our glorious God who is worthy. So, what that means, my fear to the Lord is that I'm not afraid of the Lord. I'm afraid of displeasing my Lord. And so I live a life, or I seek to live a life, that does not want to
0: displease God. That's right. And that's the whole thing that we have here. So what we see is, when we look at this, we are to be living every second of every day For God. Mm -hmm. That is something we're never going to be able to do perfectly. I get it. But that's what we're saying in this statement. Okay. And so we say here all believers should live in such a manner as to demonstrate their adorning love to God. Now, this goes back to that illustration that I gave, right? If I am truly motivated by what God did, If I'm going to sit there and and examine this, I'm going to say, okay, here, God just paid an eternal fine for me. Well, then I want to do anything for him. That's right. Okay. That is, so, so my separation from sin is not to earn anything. I'm not getting brownie points. I'm not getting merits I'm not saying oh God look you you did something for me look how good I am no it's not about me or any works that I do it is because God is deserving mm-hmm. that that's a totally different way of approaching this and that's why I'm I'm trying to express here with this and take the time to to explain out we should live in a manner of adorning the God we say we love <laughs> I mean that that should be like common sense, yeah, I know Duh. <laughs> yeah, like a dumb moment. and And we say here, and so also not trying to bring a reproach upon the Lord, our Lord and Savior. Here, the issue becomes we don't want to be in our behavior doing something that would ruin our testimony. so let me let me tell a story. I, I still remember this this was. This is kind of will be a condemnation for many churches on their their youth groups. Uh, when i I started pastoring a church, and the guy who was running the youth group really wanted me involved in the youth group. Now, the youth group back then was like many youth groups. You had a bunch of kids from the church that would invite their unbelieving friends. Now our youth group would meet on Friday nights, okay? And so it became a safe place for parents to send their kids on a Friday night. And so we had a big youth group. and it was made up really mostly of people outside of the church, and they thought that was great. So they'd start, they'd play some stupid games. It was nothing like licking peanut butter out of armpits. It wasn't that bad that you could <laughs> see it, youth group things. Don't go, don't type youth group on YouTube, and you don't want to watch what they do. But the thing was that they'd play a game, they'd have a little Bible story about morality, have maybe a time of prayer or discussion, and then hang out. And so I get involved and I start teaching worldviews. I start teaching critical thinking. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. I also start teaching evangelism. And then an hour before youth group starts, I start taking all the kids down to downtown Freehold, New Jersey to start evangelizing downtown. Now, here's what that does. By the time we got to youth group, all of the youth from our church we were in evangelism mode. Mm-hmm. So we cut out the games and we had the fellowship in the beginning because what happened was all the kids were evangelizing right away because they were in evangelism mode. They just spent the last hour evangelizing. As soon as we get to youth group, it's like, boom, they start evangelizing, which was a good thing because it meant that we either saw kids get saved or leave. Yeah, <laughs> And suddenly <laughs> we didn't have problems in youth group. <laughs> but here's the thing that was interesting. We had one incident. We had one of the kids and these were younger kids that were involved. So this was, you know, some of the, because we had younger kids that would come with us and evangelize. We had one of the kids and I, I think he was, I want to say like 10 years old, if I remember correctly, he might've been older, may have been 12. And he was there with, with a, a, another relative of his, a cousin of his. And his cousin is evangelizing and his cousin is talking to this kid That's about his age. And he goes, wait a minute. He goes, Are you with that guy? And he's like, Yeah. And he goes, Well, I'm not believing anything you say because that guy has one of the foulest mouths in school. And I sat down, I heard that and went, Really? Because I mean, he's really well behaved in church. Right. And I saw the one cousin walk over to his cousin. He goes, Hey, you got one of two choices. You either got to clean up your mouth or stop evangelizing with us. Because your mouth in school is affecting my ability to evangelize the lost. Mm. So, in other words, that kid's mouth in school brought a reproach upon Christ. And when someone was witnessing and said, "Oh, wait, he's a Christian," it affected it. You know, I know John MacArthur tells the story that he was golfing with someone and someone he mentioned the church, and he says, oh, "I would never go to that church." And John MacArthur asked why. And he says, you know, this is an attorney. And he says, Yeah, one of the most corrupt attorneys goes to that church. Mm. And so MacArthur confronted the guy, (laughs) the guy who goes to his church and said, Look, this is your behavior at work is an approach to Christ. So this, this is what we're saying here is we don't want to bring a reproach. As Christians, we want to avoid sin, not only because we love God, but also because we don't want to be a reproach against god we don't want to bring a stain on his name just look at if i mention uh, now i have this advantage folks you don't right now but i can see drew's face as we're recording this and as i mention this word i'm going to watch the reaction and then maybe i'll describe it for you but if i as i mention the word tele-evangelist sure. I mean, what comes to your mind see right he gives a smirk i got a eye roll he's turning away right <laughs> this is when we say a tele all of you had an idea of what you thought. Someone who's greedy for money, who's just, they'll say anything, to, it's, they'll come up with wacky things all for themselves to get money, right? That's a reproach mm. on Christ. So you know, why am I against the word of faith and and all of the, the, the prosperity gospel, because it's a reproach against Christ in the name of Christ. Mm-hmm. So why would I be against someone who is in church and lying constantly for the same reason? Because it's a reproach. It's a reproach against Christ from someone claiming to be of Christ. And that's the worst. Someone who says he's lost and is a drunkard doesn't bring a reproach against Christ. Someone who is a, in church regularly and a drunkard is a reproach against Christ. Yeah, I
1: was thinking of uh, a church that I had attended, and from the pulpit, the pastor was talking about Halloween, and he was talking about how people in the church are divided about Halloween. You've got this group over here that says we shouldn't do anything Halloween. You shouldn't celebrate Halloween because it's pagan and and you you just shouldn't do it. And then you have this group over here that's, it's okay. And we should just be able to do it because we have Christian liberty. And this pastor from the pulpit said, you guys that are all about just cutting out Halloween and calling everyone sinners for for celebrating Halloween, you just need to relax. You just need to get over it and i'm thinking to myself this group that is against halloween is a more mature group because they've progressed in their christianity they've grown in their relationship with god and not only that they have big god theology they have this fear of god and they they have high views of god and what you just did was you made a stump you made this group That is a mature group, a stumbling block for the immature group. And now you're bringing reproach upon the gospel because now you're telling these people, just get over it. And I was thinking to myself, I should probably send them a little book that someone I know wrote about Halloween (laughs) (laughs) and have him read it.
0: Pastor Justin Pierce has a book out on Halloween. Be good for you to read. Mm hmm. So do you know that the phrase stumbling block appears 33 times in at least the New American Standard Version? So there's a lot of times that this is being discussed from Leviticus, one of the earliest books, all the way through to Revelation. So what we end up seeing here is this is something that the Bible does speak about. And we need to be careful of, and there's much warning about being a stumbling block to our brothers or sisters. And and I'll mention this again. I mentioned it in the last episode, but Paul makes the argument with the meat offered to idols. And now I'm trying to remember if it's, I think it's Romans, but it's Romans and first Corinthians that he mentions it. But one of them, he talks about not causing your brother to stumble, to sin against his conscience by, by eating meat offered to idols he makes the case you defend your brother over the unbeliever. You, you offend an unbeliever if you must to protect your brother's conscience. We don't often think that way. I mean, let's be honest. You're listening to me and you're saying maybe to yourself, yeah, what, what, what Andrew's saying is right. That's biblical. Can we be honest, you and I? How easy is that for us to do? How often? No, okay, I'm not I know you listener you you don't struggle with this. It's just me. I get it. But how often do I, maybe not you, struggle with this where we we see a Christian that we know has been walking with the Lord long enough and we just want to like smack him upside the head or just be like come on already. Just kind of grow up. Like you you should be beyond this. We get frustrated sometimes. And then we have expectations. And what sometimes we end up doing, we want to hold them to our expectations. Mm. Mm. The reality is, is we don't want to be a stumbling block to others. We don't want to be a reproach in the name of Christ. And, and one of the biggest reproaches is when we see someone who is, usually if you see a pastor, especially a solid pastor, who struggles who stumbles, who falls, and the world will jump on that. You know, you just look at a case, I think about the case with, with Jordan Hall, someone who, and now I mentioned that name and everyone's probably triggered, but the reality is Jordan is someone I knew personally. In person, Jordan is a wonderful guy. He's a really nice guy. Online- I agree with what most people think of him. You know, he's just he's a firebrand. He just says things that he shouldn't say. I get it. But you want to know something? There was unfortunately, even within Christian circles, when Jordan fell and he got arrested, there was great rejoicing in many circles. That's really bad. Mm -hmm. If you disagreed with what the things of Jordan that he would do. Okay. But we don't rejoice because you know what happened when he fell and it went in the public record. That's a disdain on the name of Christ. Stay here's a pastor who got pulled over under the influence. You know, while having a weapon on, mm-hmm. under the influence of he he had a he had prescription drugs. There's been debate whether there's more or not, but what we do know for sure is he had prescription drugs. The reality is is that that becomes a a reproach against the name of Christ. You know, if you have someone who now, I mean, if, if someone like Benny Hinn, well, he already is a reproach because of his teaching, right? We joked about Leighton Flowers and Leighton is another person who I know personally, very likable guy in person. Can't stand the way he handles the Bible. Right. Okay. But I would never rejoice, even though he and I would be on differing ends. We've done disagreements before i would never rejoice if if something happened where he fell because because not because oh look the guy who who i debated he looks bad now no christ looks bad right yep and if our focus is not on christ then our focus is in the wrong place and this is the thing we're going through this because of this fact when we have a right understanding of who God is and what he did for us, it is going to change the way we do things like discernment for discernment ministries. Mm -hmm. There are so many discernment ministries that need discernment. (laughs) Okay. Yes, that is true. (laughs) Unfortunately, a guy who did a great podcast about discernment, discerning discernment ministries has walked away from the faith. Okay. And so looking at this, this, Someone who, again, someone I know personally, Tyler Villa, and he was an apologist in Christian circles. He was he was did tons of debates. Really smart guy. Claims he's not a believer. Okay, do I rejoice that even though we we had we would debate the days of creation and covenant theology versus dispensational and all these things? And do I rejoice that he fell and he's denying? Christ? No, no. The thing is, as now personally, when we look at this, why do we separate from sin? We really want to be separate from sin for two reasons. One, a love for God because of what he did for us. And two, a love for God that his reputation Mm -hmm. would not be tarnished. Because you want to know something? If we're going to be honest, we do a lot of things for our own reputation, don't we? Oh, yeah. And we need to be living for his reputation, not ours. There's a lot of times I see Christians, myself included, who do things to protect our own reputation and don't think too much about God's reputation in it. Mm, That's right. You know? So I'll end with this crazy way to end, but I was reading Isaiah in my devotions and realized that God asked Isaiah to walk naked through the streets to the king. (laughs) To present judgment. Now, do you think that had an effect on his reputation? Duh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you want to talk about embarrassing, like I'm going, okay, wait, did I just read this right? Let me back up. What? Right? But Isaiah was more concerned with God's reputation. Mm -hmm. And Israel, the nation that represented God, not defaming his name. I'm not going to ask whether you'd walk naked through the (laughs) streets. But would you and I be willing to do anything that God calls us to do for his reputation and not ours? It's a challenging thing to think about, a challenging way for us to end this episode. But it's on a, I want to have you consider and think about, as we talk about separation from sin, it is born out of a love for God because our motivations completely changed because of what he's done for us. Now, we're going to pick this up next week. We'll finish up this section in the next episode. I hope you'll join us. Drew will be back for that. And so, Drew, before we close up, any, any comments you want to make on any
1: of that? I think it's all going to come to a head with a nice bow in the next episode as we tackle this last paragraph here. I think I'll save everything for
0: that last episode. So you don't want to miss it. Come back. We'll see you next week. And that's a wrap. This podcast is part of the Striving for Eternity ministry. For more content or to
1: request a speaker or seminar to your church, go to strivingforeternity.org.